I want you to hit me as hard as you can. 20 years ago, the sci-fi satire Galaxy Quest flew into theaters and became a beloved cult classic, eventually. Although its fans are as passionate as the movie's dedicated Questerians, the success of Galaxy Quest is a minor miracle, considering that at the time, the studio didn't seem to know what to do with it. So let's voyage to the Klaatu Nebula and take a look at what the f*** happened to this movie. Galaxy Quest originally began its life as a script called Captain Starshine, the first screenplay from writer David Howard. He was inspired by the thought of actors like William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy getting inadvertently trapped by their sci-fi television roles for the rest of their career. The basic premise of a fading television actor recruited by aliens was in Howard's early draft, but the villain was decidedly different. Rather than Galaxy Quest space tyrant Ceres, Captain Starshine's adversary was the character that would become Alan Rickman's frustrated thespian Alexander Dane. In Howard's version, he became a wildly successful science fiction author who was obsessed with physically traveling to other worlds. Through various experiments, he somehow manages to open a rift to another planet, which he proceeds to subjugate like Ming the Merciless. The gentle indigenous aliens then secretly journey to Earth looking for the heroic Captain Starshine to save them from the wrath of their unwelcome emperor. The Captain Starshine script landed in the hands of Mark Johnson, an Oscar-winning producer who had made movies like Rain Man, Bugsy, and Donnie Brasco. Although he didn't have experience with science fiction, he sparked to the insider aspect of struggling actors and saw the comedic potential of the scenario. As is often the case in Hollywood, Johnson's first step was finding someone else to rewrite the screenplay. The producers met with a number of writers, but all of them were attached to the idea that the main character actually hated being the captain. Robert Gordon was the writer that flipped that, believing an opportunity to be commander again would be the best day of that actor's life. Robert Gordon got the job, and instead of being handed the original script, he was given the broad strokes of the concept and left to fabricate the rest, including the idea of sending the cast of the canceled TV series into deep space. After a couple of months, he turned in the first draft, and Johnson immediately took it to DreamWorks. Recently formed by Hollywood heavy hitters Steven Spielberg, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and David Geffen, DreamWorks was actively seeking new projects to put in their pipeline. After seeing Gordon's first draft, the studio quickly pulled the trigger on making the movie, and they began looking for a director. This led the project to comedy writer, director, and former Ghostbuster Harold Ramis. At that point, Ramis had a number of successes working behind the camera, including comedies National Lampoon's Vacation, Groundhog Day, and Multiplicity. Ramis had some very particular ideas for casting Galaxy Quest, maintained that he didn't want to use anyone who was known for previous science fiction roles, though he and the studio did not agree on many names to play the lead of egotistical actor Jason Nesmith, aka the TV series commander Peter Quincy Taggart, they found common ground on one man, Kevin Klein. But alas, Klein declined, forcing Ramis, the producers, and casting director Deborah Zane to continue their search. Other names considered were Bruce Willis, Tim Robbins, Alec Baldwin, and Mel Gibson. The part was also offered to Bill Murray, Steve Martin, and Robin Williams. They all either turned it down or were otherwise dropped from contention. The producers and studio, especially Jeffrey Katzenberg, were keen on Tim Allen, who had expressed considerable interest in the part. 
Allen's hit show Home Improvement had just come to an end, and his other successes include the Santa Claus and lending his voice to Buzz Lightyear in Pixar's blockbuster Toy Story. He was a longtime sci-fi fan and an avid collector of memorabilia. I love sci-fi, so I took this thing very seriously. I played this as real. I've always wanted to be a commander of a spaceship, period. And later admitted he had hoped Galaxy Quest would be a stepping stone to more serious science fiction roles. But while Alan was at an uncomfortable lunch meeting with the director and Katzenberg regarding the movie, Ramis made it clear he didn't feel that Alan was the right choice. According to executive producer Elizabeth Cation, Ramis had believed the failure of the 1986 comedy Club Paradise was because he as a director wasn't in sync with the sensibilities of star Robin Williams, and he feared a similar outcome with Tim Allen. Ultimately, the friction over Allen's casting resulted in Ramis departing the movie, just as production was nearly set to begin. With the project zooming ahead at quantum speed and sets already being built, the producers rapidly met with several directors. But Mark Johnson had his eye on Dean Pariseau, who had read and enjoyed Gordon's script before Ramis was even involved. Pariseau's only prior feature directing credit was one that Johnson had recently produced, the 1998 Drew Barrymore-Luke Wilson romantic comedy, Home Fries. It was Johnson who convinced both Pariseau and the studio that he was the right man for the directing job, and the movie rapidly got on track with Alan at the helm of the NSCA Protector. Ever since her agent had made her aware of the part, Alien series star Sigourney Weaver had actively pursued the part of Gwen DeMarco, despite her Ghostbusters co-star Harold Ramis' insistence on excluding anyone with sci-fi baggage. But when Pariseau later came on board, he appreciated the irony of casting someone who had essentially pioneered kick-ass sci-fi heroines being reduced to conversing with the ship's computer. Look, I have one job on this lousy ship. It's stupid, but I'm gonna do it, okay? To further distance herself from the iconic xenomorph-killing Ripley, Weaver insisted on a blonde hairstyle and impressive bosom for her TV show character, Tawny Madison. She ended up liking the wig so much, sometimes she'd even keep wearing it after the day's filming was done. Quintessential actor Alan Rickman was cast in the role of classically trained Alexander Dane, who played the intellectual alien Dr. Lazarus on the cancelled TV series. Perpetually exasperated by his typecasting and the lack of recognition for his craft, Dane cringes every time he hears or is required to say his famous TV show catchphrase. By Grabthar's hammer. What a savings. All right. Yeah, let's hear it. And yet his commitment is demonstrated by the fact that he never appears in the movie without his makeup headpiece. A consummate professional himself, Rickman was not exactly amused by Tim Allen's relentless joking and juvenile antics on set, but he used it to fuel his character's general animosity towards his fictional co-star. However, he did acknowledge Allen's abilities when Jason Nesmith must reveal the harsh truth about the historical documents to their benefactors. God, I am so sorry. According to Pariseau, as Allen was recovering from the intensity of shooting the emotional scene, Rickman's response was, Oh my god, I think he just experienced acting. Daryl Chill Mitchell got the role of Tommy Weber, who played ace pilot Laredo on the cancelled TV series beating David Allen Greer for the part. Dean Pariseau had just worked with Mitchell on Home Fries, and according to casting director Deborah Zane, Pariseau preferred him for Galaxy Quest even though he was too young for his fellow cast members, resulting in his TV show character being changed into a younger prodigy. 
Actor Tony Shalhoub had originally auditioned for Guy Fleegman, but was instead offered the part of Fred Kwan, who portrayed the ship's tech sergeant, Chen. When he was presented with the role, Shalhoub said, I'm not gonna play an Asian guy, but I'll play a guy who plays an Asian guy. Because there wasn't much to him in the script, Perso and Shalhoub focused on mannerisms and developed the character while shooting. For reference, they looked at the aloof performance of David Carradine on the mid-70s series Kung Fu. Shalhoub ended up playing the role as a mellow burnout, with a lack of applicable skills and a mysterious bag of greasy snacks. The character of Guy Fliegman, a nod to recurring Star Trek The Next Generation extra Guy Vardaman, went to Sam Rockwell. He was initially reluctant to take the role, coincidentally because he envisioned himself as a more serious actor and didn't want to be pigeonholed by sci-fi or comedy. But he eventually relented in part because he realized his turn as reprehensible Wild Bill in The Green Mile would be released around the same time as Galaxy Quest. To play the skittish crew member who assumes he's expendable as his unnamed show character that Got killed by a lava monster before the first commercial. <laughs> Rockwell was inspired by Bill Paxton's high-strung space marine from Aliens with a dash of Michael Keaton's fidgety motor mouth from Night Shift. He later admitted that he went method by over-caffeinating himself to shoot his frantic breakdown scene on the shuttle. For his first movie role, Justin Long beat actors like Tom Everett Scott and Kieran Culkin to play Brandon the die-hard Questerian who helps save the day. And yet one of his most memorable moments, a scene where he's required to take out the garbage while trying to assist his heroes, almost didn't make it into the movie. According to Pariseau, the production's time with Long was running out and the line producer wanted to drop the scene entirely. So Pariseau agreed not to shoot it, but then secretly squeezed it in after the day's filming was done. To win the part of Mathisar, the leader of the benevolent aliens. They were aliens. They were termites or, or Dalmatians. I can't really remember because I was kind of hungover. Just Shoot Me actor Enrico Colantoni made one final suggestion at the end of his audition. He delivered his lines using a vocal exercise. Please, Commander, you are our last hope. And not only landed the part, but effectively ended up being responsible for creating the speech pattern of the Thermitians over the course of filming. Missy Pyle was one of the last actors to be cast coming in to play a Thermitian named Laliar for her big first feature role. Okie dokie. It was DreamWorks co-founder Steven Spielberg who suggested expanding the character's screen time, resulting in the tentacled romantic subplot with Shalhoub's Fred Kwan. Oh, that's not right. Linda DeSina was hired as the movie's production designer. Although she had sci-fi experience from Star Trek The Motion Picture, Blade Runner, and Back to the Future 2, she also yearned to make something aesthetically different from those pictures. The designs for Galaxy Quest were obviously inspired by the original Trek show, along with late 1970s sci-fi TV series like Buck Rogers and Battlestar Galactica, but it was crucial that the movie's real spaceship, which the technologically advanced Thermitians had created, would not look quote-unquote cheesy, a term that aggravated the filmmakers. In fact, the entire $3 million set for the Thermitian's protector was built on a gimbal rig designed to create actual shifts and shockwaves rather than rely on old-fashioned camera shaking and actors throwing themselves around. It was like a roller coaster ride, so when you seen us getting thrown all over the place, this thing was banging, shaking, banging, shaking, and I mean, they put a little bit of work into that. Conversely, the clips for the original early 80s Galaxy Quest show were swiftly filmed in half a day on purposely shoddy soundstage sets, 
for writer Robert Gordon. You know, for me, it was that was the magic day because it was just like being on the set of these old shows that I loved, of either Trek or Lost in Space or any yeah. of these shows. Following their award-winning work on Aliens, Terminator, and Jurassic Park, Stan Winston and his studio created the practical makeup and creatures for Galaxy Quest, including the pig lizard that Jason Nesmith fights on the alien planet before a messy accident. And it exploded. The practical costume of imposing villain Ceres was groundbreaking at the time for being a complicated actor-driven articulated suit. The outfit required actor Robin Sachs to wear about 30 pounds of servos and electronic equipment to capture his facial performance and the movement of his head claws. Surprisingly, the true octopus forms of the Thermitians almost didn't make it into the movie, even though the practical work from Winston's team was complete and ready to shoot. Shortly before filming, Steven Spielberg saw test footage and thought the designs were too monstrous, recommending that they should be more conventionally humanoid like the aliens from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Fortunately, the more outlandish creatures made the final cut. Industrial light and magic were responsible for the CGI, like bringing the cannibal blue babies and the rock creature Garignac to life. ILM also realized all of the spaceship effects with a combination of models and digital work. While they were designing the NSEA protector, they made their ship's designation begin with the letters NTE, which stood for Not the Enterprise, a decision only half-jokingly made to avert potential lawsuits over any similarities to Star Trek's iconic spacecraft. During the shoot, Perso encouraged improvisation from the talented cast. This experimentation, along with Alan's emphasis on sci-fi details, resulted in one of the movie's funniest scenes. When they visit the alien planet, which was filmed at the National Monument Goblin Valley in Utah, Alan urged that the spaceship crew wouldn't land without first scanning the atmosphere. This prompted Rockwell's moments of panic and Shalhoub's hilarious but effective air test. Seems okay. Through a regular behind-the-scenes alien school during filming, the Thermitian actors, who also include a Jed Reese, Rain Wilson, and Patrick Breen, further defined the traits of the extraterrestrials. This encompassed their bizarre way of clapping, and the awkward walk that was modeled after marionettes from old Jerry Anderson shows like Fireball XL5 and Thunderbirds. The dynamic, familiar, yet distinct orchestral score was provided by David Newman, who had done the music for dozens of films, including Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Tommy Boy. To piece the film together, Pariseau collaborated with editor Don Zimmerman, a Hollywood veteran who had worked on a range of movies like Heaven Can Wait, Rocky IV, and Liar Liar. But it was during the post-production phase that the troubles began to stack up like a Gorignac. During filming, the movie had been lucky enough to fly below the studio's radar. As the crew of the Protector was making the journey to assist the aliens who believed their fictional exploits, DreamWorks had been aiming their own attention at another big feature, the expensive Russell Crowe epic Gladiator, which was dealing with the tragic death of actor Oliver Reed during production. When the studio's focus returned to Galaxy Quest, they were not exactly thrilled with what they had. DreamWorks apparently thought they were going to get a silly slapstick sci-fi parody like Spaceballs, rather than a movie that just played it straight. But the studio needed a Christmas release directed at young kids in order to compete with Sony's family movie Stuart Little. DreamWorks wanted to rush the story into space, while Perso insisted on having sufficient time to establish the main characters and their personalities. The studio also sought to drastically reduce Justin Long's superfan character and encountered resistance from the filmmakers, who considered him the heart of the movie's theme. 
In the mandated shift to a PG rating, one of Periso's biggest regrets was having to lose Weaver's blatant and perfectly appropriate F-bomb when Gwen DeMarco first encounters the Chompers. Well, screw that! Mitchell's delivery of You are so full of it, man! in the opening scene also required overdubbing to protect younger ears. Excised in the transition to a kid-friendly movie was a scene where Dane visits his own personal quarters on the Thermitian ship and is introduced to his toilet, which looks more like a complicated S&M device. Another provocative scene where Gwen seduces alien soldiers by revealing deep cleavage was also left on the cutting room floor which explains why her zipper is so unaccountably low at the end of the movie. Give it to me, you great big burning hunks of green, um, computer. We're gonna need some privacy. Can you please close blast section 19? But even with these concessions and alterations, the studio's marketing department didn't believe in the finished film, and promotional material was scarce. They did produce a fake documentary for the E! Cable Channel that featured the actors in character as their counterparts, and the sly design of the official site mimicked the sloppy, garish fan sites of the 1990s. But otherwise, the actors were not sent on standard promotional tours and talk show appearances, and any commercials and trailers failed to convey the movie's true nature or properly engage its original intended audience. As Rickman had put it, the fact that the logo didn't change from the call sheet to the poster was a sign. Galaxy Quest opened on Christmas Day in 1999, and although reviews were positive, it landed in 7th place at the box office for the weekend behind movies like Any Given Sunday, Stuart Little, The Green Mile, the Andy Kaufman biopic The Man on the Moon, and Toy Story 2, which was on its 6th week in theaters. But then, something magical happened as the movie seemed to embody the signature command of its hero. Never give up. Never Galaxy Quest made more in its second weekend than when it opened as word of mouth spread to genre fans, and general audiences realized it was a more sophisticated movie than any advertising had indicated. It continued along this stable trajectory, lingering in the top 10 for two and a half months before it finally departed theaters the following May with a domestic total of $71 million on a budget of $45 million. Still, everyone involved knew that it wasn't the $100 million grossing box office phenomenon that it should have been with effective promotion. That disappointment extended to DreamWorks Chiefs, according to Pariso. Jeffrey Katzenberg actually called him after the second week's improved ticket sales to apologize for not properly advertising the movie. Or, as Mitchell put it in 2019's Never Surrender, a Galaxy Quest documentary, Dude, you made the perfect gumbo, but you forgot to invite people to dinner, man. Galaxy Quest did find its way to even more viewers when it blew up on home video, and its audience has only expanded over the years, no doubt in part because it was not a mockery of its influences, but a fond salute to the material. Pariso says one of his goals was just to make a great Star Trek episode, and wanted to direct the story more as a drama with comedic elements, rather than an outright spoof. The movie has the DNA of Star Trek in nearly every frame. Early drafts of the script were even called Galaxy Quest the motion picture, and Jason Nesmith's battle with the rock monster was a callback to Kirk's famous fight with the Gorn, although despite his character's obvious parallels to William Shatner, 
Alan claims he based Taggart's captain chair posture on Yul Brenner and the Ten Commandments. Galaxy Quest was an instant favorite of Trek fanatics J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof, who went on to reboot the Star Trek movie series in 2009. Even former Star Trek cast members like Jonathan Frakes and Patrick Stewart praised the movie, with George Takei, the Enterprise's own Sulu, laughingly describing the movie as a chillingly realistic documentary. Galaxy Quest is such an affectionate tribute to both Star Trek and its devoted followers that the movie is often included in fan rankings of the Star Trek movies. One of the reasons that the movie has endured as a favorite of sci-fi fans is because it treated fandom with respect and appreciation back when it was still on the fringe. In 1999, Star Trek and Star Wars were reasonably popular, but cosplay was a rarity reserved for genuinely committed followers. At the time, hardcore fantasy and science fiction fans were still a minority, largely stereotyped as social outcasts or punchlines. I mean, for crying out loud, it's, it's just a TV show. <laughs> I mean, look at you, look at the way you're dressed. This was long before D&D campaign videos could draw millions of views on YouTube and Funko figurines became commonplace desk decorations and years before San Diego Comic-Con evolved into a pop culture juggernaut to a point where the happenings in Hall H regularly receive national news coverage, while the superhero movies generate countless billions in revenue. But two decades ago, Galaxy Quest was an unintentional precursor to fandom's crossover into the mainstream, as well as its influence on modern entertainment. It understood and embraced the importance of fans, and it's those fateful nerds who saved the day with their meticulous knowledge of the spaceship's design. Along with their critical role assisting the heroes in their climactic Earth landing, conveniently located at a science fiction convention. The cast of Galaxy Quest love working together, and their chemistry in the movie is apparent and infectious. In 2015, the continued popularity prompted producer Mark Johnson to consider somehow continuing the story, almost mirroring the movie's epilogue. And now, back again after 18 years, the new adventures of Galaxy Quest. Robert Gordon wrote a pilot script that Dean Pariso would again direct, and the main cast was expected to reunite for more interstellar adventure on a new Galaxy Quest show for Amazon. However, when Alan Rickman sadly passed away in 2016, enthusiasm for the project dwindled, and the development on the sequel series has remained adrift since then. But whatever the fate of its future, Galaxy Quest will always remain a clever, perceptive love letter to science fiction, and to the loyal fans who treasure it. Galaxy Quest t-shirt on your way out. Thank you. Woo!